Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. In this episode, brewing is a simple act of encouraging fungi to make us something wonderful. But yeasts aren't the only game in town. I'm sitting down with Jesse Bassard to talk about how you can grow everyone's favorite edible fungi, mushrooms. Mmm, mushrooms. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Join the American Homebrewers Association in November and claim an out-of-this-world offer. Use the discount code 5STAR, F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R, to receive a free 32-ounce bottle of IOSTAR sanitizer when you purchase a one-year membership. Get your free IOSTAR with the promo code 5STAR and find holiday inspiration for great gifts, craft beer recipes, beer and food pairing suggestions, and much more by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental today. Hurry, this offer won't last. Get the details at homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. How long have you been doing the mushroom thing now? A uh, couple years. A couple years, yeah. Yeah, I got into it in, like, late 2021, and then, um, yeah, just kind of go deeper and deeper. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like with brewing. You get interested in something, and then you just go down the rabbit hole. What actually got you into mushrooms, then? I read a book about it. So I read this book called In Search of Mycotopia. Um, it's written by Doug Biren. And um, it's just a book that kind of chronicles what's happening with mushrooms across the, the country. Um, you know, and it kind of profiled some of the cool people doing, you know, different things in the mushroom world, whether it's cultivating, um, you know, for farmers markets and, and things like that, or, or people, you know, putting together mushroom festivals, um, people going out in the woods foraging for mushrooms, people doing research using mushrooms for various purposes. So, yeah, I got into it that way. Um, the book just kind of sparked my interest, and I um, started reading more about it and um, really decided I wanted to learn how to grow them and cultivate them because I'm like an agricultural type person. I like to you know grow things and understand how things work. And so, yeah. I do a little foraging too, but um, 
the cultivation aspects what really I geek out on. All right. All right. Well, so since you're geeking out on mushrooms, why don't you remind everybody who you are? Yes. So I'm Jesse Bussard. Um, I am a uh, independent writer and consultant. I have a marketing and communications consultancy called uh, Cow Punch Creative. Work with agricultural businesses and craft beverage and craft food um, companies. And yeah, I just play around with mushrooms in my spare time. <laughs> and I'm also a uh, longtime uh, fermentation enthusiast and home brewer. So. Right. Well, people will remember that we had you on the show in your previous gig as the director of the Craft Brewers Malt or Craft Maltsters Guild. Good yes, Lord. I was formerly formerly the ED of the Craft Maltsters Guild. Yeah, left that uh, position in uh, May of this year and to strike out on my own and get back to doing uh, things that interest me more. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Get, get your hands back in the middle of mushrooms. What's funny to me is the way you describe things happening with mushrooms. I mean, it sounds almost directly parallel to what has happened with craft beer over the years. Look, we have craft beer festivals. You can go try different different beers. It, it mushrooms are definitely having a moment right now, and like it's it's been a movement that has really been growing um, over the past you know probably decade or so. But they're really popular right now. You can just they're in media. You see them, you know, you see an article written about mushrooms a lot. The accessibility of just being able to, you know, grow mushrooms for yourself is like, it's so much more easy to, to get the, the stuff you need to do it. And um, there's like, you know, thousands of YouTube videos about mushroom cultivation and there's mushroom clubs, just like there's homebrewing clubs. So yeah, lots of stuff happening there. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it is true because I've seen, and uh, people remember in a former lifespan a long time ago, I was a caterer. So uh, I've also always been mushroom assessed from the culinary aspect. I will eat the hell yeah. out of every mushroom that I ever see, which is why I don't go foraging. Because there's a fine line between the mushroom that you eat and the mushroom that eats you when you go foraging. <laughs> Very true. And there have been some very unfortunate stories recently in the news about people eating mushrooms and getting very sick or dying. Um, I don't know if you saw that uh, of the um, woman in Australia that like fed her family uh, members some mushrooms oh, and yeah. ended up like killing like three of them. And, and now she's been arrested for for murder because she did it intentionally. It's kind of crazy, crazy stuff. But um, yeah, that's why I kind of leaned more towards the cultivation aspect because you know what you're growing then versus, you know, you're going out in the woods and maybe you're not as familiar with the, the morphology or what, you know, what that mushroom looks like or wh where it's found. And, you know, you don't know for sure what it is unless you are more experienced in identification. But whereas when you're cultivating something in a more controlled setting, you're pretty guaranteed to know what you're going to have is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, and when you're cultivating, it sounds like from the, cause I'm, I'm, I'm at the very beginning of this whole thing. Cause I'm like going, Ooh, this sounds kind of fun. Cause of course mm -hmm. what I need is another hobby. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it also looks like, I mean, you have a very broad potential of things that you can actually grow that you don't necessarily find in the grocery store. You may find at a farmer's market, but they're also going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Totally. And and people who've listened to the podcast for years will know about Denny's adventures with chanterelles and beer. Uh, now mm. those are those are forged chanterelles by yep. somebody who's experienced uh, foraging, uh, and the amount of chanterelles he uses in a beer is eye-watering if you were going to try and actually buy them. So, how, how many does he put in a beer? It's pounds upon pounds. Wow. Yeah, and I think, to be able to just like forage that many chanterelles, that's that's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, he we calculated it once. I think it ended up being something like one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars worth of mushrooms. Whoa! <laughs> well, yeah, chanterelles are some of the best edible mushrooms. I mean, they're they're probably one of my favorites. Um, you can't beat what they taste like, and they're impossible to cultivate almost. Um, so they're one of the, the ones that, yeah, you have to find it in the woods for foraging. Um, you can't cultivate it because it, it grows in a, what they call a mycorrhizal relationship with trees and other plants in the environment. And so you can't recreate that in a cultivation scenario. So yeah, that's why they're so, they're so expensive and so valuable. <laughs> it's like them and truffles. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So Let's let's lay out the basics here because when you and I were talking before, we we joked around the fact that both of us coming from kind of a fermentation beer wine cidery type world, uh, and now looking at mushrooms, it's really just another form of fungi manipulation, right? Yeah, yeah. The yeast that we use to brew beer with is a fungi, and um, it's just taking you know just using another fungi fungus to manipulating it and using it to, you know, get a desired result. But in, in this case, we're trying to get that fun fungus to fruit to make mushrooms, um, which is, you know, the, actually that's like the last stage in the mushrooms life cycle. Uh, the, um, the part where it's like actually producing the spores and the, the, um, the last stage though. Uh, it, and it, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to get it to do that. But there's this whole other process beforehand that you have to go through to actually get it to that stage. A little bit different than planting tomatoes, right? <laughs> Very different, yeah. So there's there's seven stages to mushroom cultivation. It starts with media prep. So that could be whether you're cutting logs um, and you know inoculating those logs with something. Or you could be using like sawdust um, as a substrate or... Um, Maybe you're using straw. Um, depending on the type of mushroom you're going to grow, the substrate can be different because um, different types of mushrooms like different types of substrate. They, for example, oysters have a lot. Oyster mushrooms have like they can grow on like seventy different types of substrate. Uh. Whereas something like um, lion's mane mushrooms or let's say reishi which would be like, um, it's a medicinal mushroom. Um, either one of those, like they're, they have particular tree species that they only grow in association with. Hmm. Um, so, you know, in other words, they're, they're picky. Yeah, they are. They really are. So, you know, when you're doing like, if you're going to cultivate mushrooms outside and you want to use logs, you might need to know a little bit about the type of trees that you're going to use. Um, you know, in when when you're doing that, but once you inoculate some some sub, you, what you'll take then is you'll take that media that you're going to use to grow the mushrooms. You're going to inoculate it with some 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 actual mycelium that's growing. Um, 
whether that's, you know, through some already, uh, some substrate that has some spawn already in it and has already been colonized and you're going to put that into it. Or, you know, maybe you're cultivating it from the very beginning with spores. That's, that's a whole other thing. Um, but it's, it can, you can kind of take it from as a beginner or as advanced as you want. I, I like to think of it like, like homebrewing. You can make it as complex or simple as you want. You know, Denny has that great book of, uh, uh, about, um, you know, brewing in a minimal way. Yeah. It's called simple homebrewing from all your finest retailers. Yeah. So it's very much the same aspect. You can take mushroom growing and make it very simple or you can make it really complex. Um, so, but to your point, like I, I can't do like, you know, the classic thing with potatoes, right? You know, you let a potato sit on the counter and it starts to seed or sprout. And then you can take that, cut it up and plant those and get a, additional potatoes. I actually have to start somewhere else with mushrooms, right? I, I can't just go to the grocery store and get a mushroom and do something with it. Actually, you could. Could I? Yes, you could. Hmm. Um, you would have to... Um, Use, you'd have to basically, you'd be taking a core from the inside of the actual mushroom that you would buy at the grocery store. You'd take a, a small piece of the tissue from the inside of the mushroom mm -hmm. and then put it put it on sterile agar plates <laughs> and, and grow out the mushroom mycelium on agar plates. And you basically can keep growing out that mycelium until you have enough to colonize a substrate and fruit it. You, you could totally do that. <laughs> but that sounds like that's not the, to use the analogy you're using earlier, that's not the simplest can of extract version of growing mushrooms. No, no. The simplest way to get started growing mushrooms is just to buy a kit online. You can go to a, a retailer like North Spore Mushrooms, or um, there's one called Midwest Grow Supplies. There's a company out of Wisconsin called Field and Forest. There's, there's a lot of different places. Just Google mushroom grow kit, and you should be able to find, you know, some for sale. They range in price from like $25 to $50, depending on the type of mushroom and things like that. But it, it that's the easiest way to get started. And it's a good way to just like dip your toe in the water and, and kind of figure out if this is something for you. And you can do those kits right on your kitchen counter. Um, they require a little bit of, of maintenance in basically just spraying them with water a couple times a day. Because um, mushrooms... When you're growing mushrooms, there's a few different things you have to think about to control and to um, be aware of. One is temperature. Two is humidity. Humidity is really important. And um, if you were growing in like a grow tent or something like that that was kind of enclosed, you'd want to be aware of possibly the CO2 levels. Um, because when you get too much CO2 in the environment and not enough oxygen the um, mushrooms will grow f funny um, because they basically, they're like us. They can't, they need oxygen to respire and to grow. And when they don't have enough oxygen, they, they grow weird and um, don't do as well. And I, uh, while we, while you were talking, I was just, just taking a look online. You're right. There's like all these different kits that are like countertopped box kits that yeah cut this open, spray this with water. You're done. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got started doing it is I bought like a box kit from North Spore 
And I think the first one I did was was uh, blue oyster mushrooms. Oyster mushrooms are one of the easiest mushrooms to grow. Um, and to start with, they're very forgiving. Um, so if you want an easy, you know, starter mushroom to, to kind of play around with, oysters is the way to go. Um, things like lion's mane um, can be a little bit more finicky, a little bit tougher um, to, to get, you know, really nice flushes. But... Um, you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Maybe. <laughs> you can do it. Um, it gets a lot easier to um, get better looking mushrooms when you start to control your environment more. Just right. like we do with home brewing. You know, you're going to get better beer the more control you have over the, the uh, fermentation and whatnot. Well, and to your point, like I can't. So I'm, I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles is not renowned for, shall we say, temperate temperatures and uh, uh, high humidity. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. rather the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and I have to imagine, at least for mushrooms, trying to grow them outside here would be a bit more of a challenge. It could be, yeah. I would say if you were trying to do like something with logs or something outdoors, yeah, you'd have a hard time. You'd probably only get mushrooms, you know, during, if you had, a, you know, a wet season or something, I don't know. And I'm not sure what the weather's like there, but yeah, if if you live in a really dry climate, it's probably going to be really hard for you to grow mushrooms outside. That's but it. if you if you can do it in, you can do it inside in a controlled environment using like a greenhouse tent or those grow tents that people use for cannabis. Um, so I don't know what you're talking about. I may <laughs> I may actually just uh, make a mushroom cellar then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still need a little bit of light. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you just have like a window nearby, that's totally enough where you can just rig up some LED lights that you have, you know, for like starting plants or whatever. Um, the only, the really important part of the light is the light just kind of like tells the mushrooms which direction to grow in. Okay. <laughs> so They don't actually, they don't actually need the light to, to survive, to produce mushrooms it's just more of like a a signal for them to know which direction to grow now i'm trying to picture if you could do an experiment where you had a light that was moving and see if you could manipulate yeah so (laughs) there's actually a guy that does something like that and he makes art with mush living mushrooms he uses the light to he like moves the light around throughout the grow process and gets the mushrooms to grow in these crazy shapes and at the end of the grow, like he's got like this crazy looking mushroom that's just like it's it's like a sculpture almost. It's super cool. If you look him up on social media, it's fungi florist. <laughs> you know, this is once again one of those things where God, I love how weird humanity can be. <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, I love fungi florist. I love the shit that he puts out um, with, uh, he uses reishi mushrooms, so Ganoderma species. And um, when you grow reishi mushrooms in a, um, like a grow tent setting and you restrict the carbon dioxide levels, you can get them to grow in like these antler shapes that kind of looks like fingers coming up. Mm. Um, and um, you can control the way they grow with the light then. And so that's what he's doing, basically. God bless him. I love, I love people who figure out how to do strange manipulations. And then, this, and then this guy's like selling these art piece, these as art pieces, basically. He grows them in like cool looking vases and stuff and then sells them at 
art shows. Anyway, <laughs> that's a that's a tan. That's just one tangent. But yeah, I mean, there's like, like you got you got mushrooms as food. You got uh, mushrooms as uh, superfood medicine, and now we also yes. have mushrooms as art. Yeah, um, I mean, I there's all there's so much stuff you can do with mushrooms. Um, but like you're saying, food is the number one thing. And you know, to bring it back to brewing. Um, in particular, I actually read an article, a scientific journal article the other day where they were taking mushroom powder mm-hmm. from, and so they were, it was King oyster mushrooms and they took the powder and they added it at different stages during the brewing process. So pre and post fermentation. And they actually were the, the adding the mushroom, the King oyster improved yeast viability during the fermentation and helped to increase the alcohol content and it um, gave some attributes to the profile of the beer like adding like cocoa and chocolate notes and some kind of mushroomy earthy flavors so i mean there's even people actually putting mushrooms mushrooms into beer like denny does with his chanterelles and you know finding out that there's more benefits to it than just the um the flavor aspect, you know. I mean, I mean that's not too terribly surprising to me, right? I mean, like we know that most uh, "quote unquote" natural uh, processes do come down to a very sort of complex set of, uh, set of interactions. You know, like go look at mixed cultured fermentation stuff, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on in there just from the interplay between the different bacteria and the different uh, yeasts and all that sort of fun stuff. So yeah, not surprising me at all. And in a lot of ways, it still sounds more preferable than the, uh, the mushroom coffee I tried one time. I was not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Those mushroom coffees are hit or miss. Like some of them, are, I've had some that are good and like other ones I'm just like really, really disappointed in. Well, Denny's famous out there for his, uh, uh, fuggle haters club. Because he thinks that fuggles taste like dirt. And my thought after having that mushroom coffee was, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Louis. He's not He's not wrong. I never was a fan of fuggles either. <laughs> <laughs> They're a very classic flavor. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you, you, could, you could find better hops. <laughs> I, I agree. We, we've had lots of development over time. Um, all right. So if the box, the boxes on your counter are the, you know, kitten kilo type of uh, version of mushroom growing, where do I go from there? Like, what should I be reading? What should I be getting? What should I be doing? What should I be looking for? Well, if you're going to move up from that to a more kind of complicated growing setup, you're going to probably get yourself a greenhouse tent, a grow tent um, to grow in. And that tent's going to have fresh air exchange. So it's going to have an, like an intake fan that like pulls oxygen through and pulls air out. Um, you're going to have a humidifier in there to keep the humidity level up. You're going to have a humidity sensor to, uh, help. And you're going to have a, um, 
automatic shutoff uh, thing to for the humidifier. So basically, it will you know turn on when it gets below a certain humidity level, and then turn back off when it reaches the max level that you want it to keep at. Because you want to keep that humidity in a certain range that's ideal for the mushrooms. Um, hopefully, you can put your tent in a place where the temperature is pretty stable and consistent. Because that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Mushrooms like to have like the same temperature. Um, if you're growing indoors, it just makes it easier for you. Um, but is there a particular range they prefer? It or depends it- on the species, of course. Um, but I would say like typical range is like sixty to seventy-five degrees. Like kind of like the same that you would ferment yeast at. See, the more you tell me this, the more I keep going back to the idea of having the mushroom cellar and going that works because my cellar is literally like seventy degrees year round. Yeah, no, the basement is the perfect place to put your mushroom grow tent. That's where I do mine. Hey! I, I have it in the basement. I And um, I have it all set up in the basement with a light and the humidity uh, humidifier at the bottom. We've got the sensor at the top. Um, and then I have a fan system at the top that pulls the air out. Um, I do put, like, a filter on the fan so that the, it, the, the spores from the mushrooms don't get pulled out. Mm-hmm. Oh into my basement so you, um, you can you don't have mushrooms growing everywhere in the basement of course right. you can also buy like hepa um air filter kind of attachments that'll go on the the out outtake hose mm-hmm. for your fan to kind of further give you more protection from um spores that might come off of them because depending on the type of species of mushroom you grow some of them produce a lot of spores compared to others and this is how we get to The Last of Us. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those were cordyceps mushrooms, though, and they're a little bit more difficult to cultivate. <laughs> okay. No, don't, uh, yeah, don't, don't go trying to get into those weird scientific experiments. I need a, a tent. I need, a, I need a grow light. I need uh, a couple bits and bobs to control the humidity. Um, walk me through you, uh, growing my first mushroom in this sort of setup, right? Because, again, the box kits are pretty brain dead. And, right, and uh, so... Yeah, the baskets are pretty brain dead. Um, I would say, like, if somebody's going to start trying to grow mushrooms in a tent set system, just start by buying some fruiting blocks, like, directly from a manufacturer. Don't try to go through the whole process of, like, making your own blocks from start to finish as, as well. Learn it one thing at a time, you know what I mean? Just to lay it out there for people, when you say a fruiting block, I'm guessing that means it's a, a piece of growth media that's already been, you know, filled with the spore and it's all ready to go. A fully colonized block uh, that is basically all you need to do is cut an X in the bag and um, then it's exposed to the oxygen and it will initiate the, the, the mushroom to fruit. And within usually like when you uh, those fruity blocks, they come in a bag mm-hmm. and it has like a filter patch on the top for air. But when you go to actually fruit them, um, depending on the species, some of them you might, you know, open the bag from the top and fruit them from the top of the block, uh, or um, other ones you might not open the bag at all and just cut an X in the side mm-hmm. um, on the substrate, and then that's just enough exposure to oxygen for that, that it'll then fruit at that spot where you cut that X. Okay. And I'm guessing, again, all variety dependent and... Right. If, for example, like, if you, like, did it with, like, oyster mushrooms, you'd probably see mushrooms within, like, a week. Um and with lion's mane, a little bit longer. Chestnut mushrooms, a little bit longer. So anywhere from like a week to two weeks, depending on species. 
And then at the end of that week to two weeks, what I can I can just go in and harvest the the mushrooms straight off the block. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then go get some butter and some garlic and some thyme going and go make yes. Sopa. That's exactly what you can do. <sighs> yeah. Now I'm hungry. <clears throat> See, and, and by the way, for people who don't know, uh, like all of this talk is inspired by the fact that a friend of mine in the club uh, in the Falcons brought mm. his homegrown uh, shiitake mushrooms because I guess he just got certified by the state of California to be a mushroom grower and seller and all that sort of fun stuff. Oh, very cool. And so he brought in like these giant bags of shiitake mushrooms and said, here, buy, you know, take, take some mushrooms for me. So of course me, I am a mushroom fiend. I will eat every mushroom and I will go, please, sir, more. Um, yeah, shiitakes are delicious too. They but, really are. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, uh, my, my lunch for the past couple of days has been nothing but shiitake mushrooms, Sauteed with shallots and garlic and thyme and rosemary, a little bit of cream, and then served on uh, toast. That sounds very, very good. <laughs> I would love that. I think shiitakes are one of the best tasting mushrooms. They are not the easiest to grow indoors. Um, you can get like shiitake blocks that are, are colonized. Or shiitake is also very particular about wood. Do I know that? Yes. Or? Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, shiitakes are the ones that are better to grow on logs um, outdoors versus trying to grow them indoors is more difficult. I actually just tried to do this myself um, over the summer, and I I started my own shiitake block and then um, put it in my grow chamber, and I got one fruiting and mushrooms off of it. Um, But I ended up getting contamination because when you fruit a shiitake block, so... You would you would create this block in like either a bag or a bucket or whatever, but it was basically made up of um, sawdust, uh, well wood pellets that are basically made of compressed sawdust. Uh, so I had some oak wood pellets, and I put in some um, oat bran for a little bit of protein and nitrogen, and um, hydrated that with with a, a certain amount of water, and then mixed in mushroom spawn with it and then over over the course of about three months two to three months i think it was like two and a half months it took for the block to fully colonize and the way shiitake mycelium grows it like gets like this really white popcorn-y looking like outer exterior on the outside and then it turns dark brown um when it's done and ready kind of to to fruit (laughs) and um there's this whole process you have to go through with it though. You've got to like dunk it in cold water for up to two days. And that's like called the, the shocking process. And, and then um, you take it out of the cold water and you put it into the fruiting chamber. And I got one flush of mushrooms off of it. And then it ended up getting contaminated with trich- trichoderma, which is just like a really common um, contaminant of mushrooms it's green it grows on the outside of if you get anything green growing on your mushroom block you know it's contaminated mm. and because of the way shiitakes grow you've got to take them completely out of the bag and expose the entire block to the air and, and you can imagine in a humid moist environment lots of stuff growing lots of stuff growing not just the shiitake mushroom on the block and so it's a great place for contamination um so it's a little bit harder to grow them in a uh, contained setting, indoor setting, because they're just so prone to that um, contamination in that type of 
environment. Whereas if you put them outside, it's a little bit less likely for that to happen. Um, Cause there's like crazy. Yeah. It's, it's funny. They just, the, sh- the shiitakes are one that you would just be better off to do logs with and not try to screw around with it in your tent. Um, at least that's been my experience. Well, so you hit the magic C word because that was going to be one of the ones I was going to ask. All right, everything that we've talked about up until that, uh, until the shiitakes, I mean, the process seems pretty straightforward. Um, I do know that like, at one point in time, I was looking at like starting to explore the idea of growing mushrooms and I bounced off of like, I think the media prep stages cause everything was all about sanitation and this, that, and you gotta be very mm-hmm. careful about getting how the spores get in and don't contaminate the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So if, like you're gonna, if you're, if you're going to grow mushrooms from start, like from spore to, to the, and, and do your own blocks and like everything, sanitation's huge. But if you don't want to screw around with that, you can just buy the fruiting blocks from a supplier and then just worry about the, the fruiting process in the tent um, and not even deal with the, you know, the, the media prep, the inoculation, the spawn run and waiting on all the, co- the, the stuff to colonize. See, somehow I feel like when I was doing my reading, maybe it was just where that particular hobby or effort was at the time in terms of education. Mm-hmm. It really felt like, you know, trying to teach somebody how to brew by telling them how to do a decoction first. <laughs> yeah um, yeah so the fruiting blocks is a great idea because i think that's exactly where where i want to start um but the contamination so let's let's assume i'm not doing any of the finicky stuff with you know growing my own spores and my own media and all that sort of fun stuff just using these fruiting blocks you already mentioned with shiitakes they have a tendency to get contaminated what do I need to look out for? Is there anything I can do to sort of control it? Or is this just an outgrowth of dealing with the human environments with spores? Um, the one thing you can do to try to reduce contamination is um, being really clean about, you know, everything that you're doing. Um, a lot of people won't even like handle their bags or anything with their bare hands. They'll, they'll use um, nitrile gloves and they'll put 70% isopropyl alcohol on their hands before they go to start doing anything in their grow tent. Um, you know, they'll wear a mask just to keep anything that they might have breathing on it. But yeah, they, there's a lot of things you can do just stuff, just normal kind of sanitation and um, using it wiping your hands down, um, you know, before you're going to be doing anything with the mushrooms, um, spraying down the bags, um, before you, you know, put them in the tent, spray them with alcohol and wipe them off. Um, and then cleaning your tent frequently, like, in, like every time you, I would, I kind of would time my grows so that I would, um, you know, I'd have a, a bunch of uh, blocks in there, and then they would all fruit. And then in between, um, I, after I would harvest what they produced, then in between like the next flush, I would clean the tent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd take all the blocks out, clean the tent and everything, uh, and, and then put everything back in and, and then wait for it to uh, do a second flush. Because a lot of times on your fl- fruiting blocks, you're going to get maybe two to three flushes of mushrooms. Um, right. And they don't think- just produce one time. Right. And I think that's important just to go over that term real quick, because from context clues, using my English reading comprehension brain, context clues, flushes are effectively a crop, right? Yes. A, a, a harvest yes. cycle. And so to your point, you can get multiples out of the same media. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. It's pretty common to get at least two flushes from a block, but depending on the species, but sometimes you can get three or four um, oysters usually will produce quite prolifically lions being mm-hmm. a little bit harder to get like multiple flushes, but they just grow slower. And the other thing you have to realize is each consecutive flush is going to be smaller than the first mm-hmm. because essentially what is happening is the mushroom is converting that substrate in that block. So, which is, you know, usually wood sawdust. Um, it's, it's eating that up and then using that to produce its mushrooms, to produce the fruit. Um, and as it produces those flushes each time, there's less and less nutrients available to it. So yeah, consecutive crops get a little slow, smaller. I mean, it's just like how you have to do crop rotation and on a farm, right? You know, you have to replenish the yeah, soil. Yeah, exactly. But the nice thing is, is you, after those blocks are done and spent and say, you know, you've got as many flushes as you feel or you want off of them, you can take them and put them in your garden or flower beds as compost. Um, they're really great for that so we're keeping the cycle of life going there now when you talk about one of these flushes so okay i go out and i buy a block one mm-hmm. how big how big is one of these blocks about five pounds okay so i get a five pound block of compressed goodness that i'm gonna that i'm gonna grow out of that five pound block like that first flush say on oyster mushrooms because i assume it's crop dependent uh, or variety dependent uh, that first flush how many uh, how many mushrooms am i getting Maybe like a pound. Yeah. yeah I would say between a, a pound to a half a pound. Yeah. And then, see, I think this also answers my other question because so far we've been talking about, you know, sort of more exotic forms of mushrooms, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the lion's manes, the oysters, uh, the shiitakes mm-hmm. and whatnot. I, I assume that's part of the reason why nobody talks about, or I haven't really seen a lot of talk about from people going, yes, I grew my own button mushrooms. <laughs> Ooh, button mushrooms don't grow on wood. They grow on dung. <laughs> so, so button mushrooms are actually um, like massively cultivated here in Pennsylvania, of all places. We're actually like the number one mushroom production state in the country. Um, down around Philly, there's a whole bunch of mushroom farms um, in the Kennett Square area. And they grow those button mushrooms, which are actually called agaricus bisphorus. And the funny thing I learned um, over the past couple years, just getting into mushrooms, you know how you go to the grocery store and you'll see portobello mushrooms, criminy mm-hmm. mushrooms, white mushrooms, um, baby bellas, and, you know, all these different things that they're all the same species. Mm-hmm. And, but they're just harvested at different growth stages of the fungi. So, like, it's crazy to me that, you know, we go, we've, people think that, you know, these are all different. And they're actually all the same. Um, but, yeah, they grow those mushrooms in these huge indoor barns. And they have, like, big trays that they mix in a mixture of, like, horse poop and compost. Uh, and, and then they put the spawn in with it and grow the mushrooms that way. But they're in, like, a big dark kind of, like, building. Um, and they grow them in mass. See, this totally changes my opinions about some mushrooms. Because in the past, there was only one variety I really knew about growing in poop. And those aren't the legal kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the the those the the agaricus mushrooms that you're used to seeing in the grocery store are grown in junk. That's why you should always wash them right. and cook them completely. Don't eat them raw. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have to admit that I'm not a big raw mushroom person in a lot of ways. So yeah, uh, now, now I know I was being smart. All right. Well, and and also I think the other reason is I mean I don't I don't know about you, but I mean like when I go to the grocery store, I think I can buy like two pounds of button mushrooms for like five bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to me, whereas like shiitakes or lime mains or oyster mushrooms or anything else are significantly more expensive. So I, I kind of feel like if I'm going to spend my time going through this effort of growing mushrooms, you know, because it's not a I mean. It's not a labor-intensive process from the sound of it, but it is a time-intensive process. You've still got a lot yeah. of things that you got to do. Um, if I'm going to spend my time doing this and worrying about it and screwing things up, uh, I kind of want it to be a little cost-effective. <laughs> so oyster mushrooms and lion's manes and all that, I could get more value for my time out of, I think. Definitely. All right. We've got the the, the basic ideas for, for mushrooms. We've got a couple of different uh, retailers that you gave me uh, uh links for that we'll include in the show notes. Uh, is there, you'd mentioned the, the, the one book at the, right up at the front. Uh, but I, that sounded like more like a sort of a history and culture book. Is there any sort of yeah. resources people should look at for the actual how to practical go make mushrooms? Yeah. There's a book that I have that I think is a really great resource. It's called organic mushroom farming and micro remediation. Um, it's written by a guy named trad Cotter. Um, and it literally will tell you everything and anything you want to know about mushroom cultivation from beginner to advanced. It walks you through everything. So it's, it's great. Plus it has like some really great, um, info on like specific species and, um, strains in the back. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in like in both, um, outdoor and indoor types that you can cultivate yeah that's a good one and then i always recommend people if they're interested in mushrooms find a mushroom club you know similar to you know if you want to learn be a home brewer find a homebrew club if you want to learn how to um identify mushrooms whether they're ones you cultivate or ones in the woods go join a mushroom club um that's what i did and it's been a really great experience um and i've learned a ton and you'll meet a lot of other people who not only like to go foraging, but also who might, you know, be also cultivating mushrooms at home and can help you get started and help you kind of troubleshoot issues you might run into. Cause again, this falls into that same line as with brewing where these are sort of crafty things, right? You can read a lot, yes, uh, but a lot of times craft, it's a hell of a lot easier to learn or a lot better to learn from somebody else showing you how to do it. Yeah, you know, and there's also a lot of great information out there on YouTube um, from a lot of different mushroom growers uh, that have, like, their own channels. And um, so, uh, you know, there's no uh, lack of information on mushroom cultivation and mushrooms in general. And there's more and more mushroom events coming out across the country. Like, there's so many mushroom festivals now. It's there's like one in every state, it seems. Um, and uh, so you, you can find m- multiple opportunities to, to educate yourself and, and get, you know, into this hobby. Um, and I can give you a link on like 
where to go fund clubs and stuff. The North American Mycological Association has a whole database on their website of mushroom clubs across this continent. Yeah. I'm, I, again, I'm not surprised. And now I'm just picturing like the the mushroom version of a beer festival where it's like, look, you got mushroom beer, mushroom wine, mushroom dishes, mushroom ice cream, mushroom ketchup, which was the thing. <laughs> so, uh, it's a little different. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> mushroom festivals are a lot different than beer festivals. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, you're, you're, not go- you're not going and gorging yourself on mushrooms. That's boring. Come on. Well, I mean, there's certainly that aspect of it, but it's just, it, it covers much more than cultivation. There you go. Well, I think to me, it sounds like this is, again, just like brewing. This is one of those things that seems like it's easy to pick up and get started moving, particularly with those kits in a box uh, type setup you throw on the counter. So it sounds like something fun to do when you're not brewing because you're not brewing all the time after all, right, people? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe some of you are, but I'm not. Add it to my hot sauce collection. Add it to my my fermented vegetables collection. Let's, uh, Let's add something else to the mix. I can't let you go without also saying, having to ask you, with mushrooms, what is your favorite variety of mushrooms? My favorite variety of mushroom is lion's mane. Lion's mane. I love lion's mane. One, because it tastes like crab meat, so it's delicious. You can make crab cakes with it um, or fry it and make a, a vegan fish sandwich with it. <laughs> Um, so lion's mane is freaking delicious. And it also just has a lot of great health benefits. It's really good for your brain. Lord knows I need that. Um, all right. So we got lion's mane and then, uh, what's your favorite mushroom dish? Ooh, probably, probably the best mushrooms. The the ones I like to eat are chanterelles and morels. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are ones that are foraged. You can't cultivate them. Um, and yeah, usually like in a, in a, some type of like sauce, like a mushroom sauce with them in it. And um, I, I had a really good chanterelle risotto um, that's just like phenomenal. Um, but yeah, a friend of mine made like a, they made an elk tenderloin and then they made a morel sauce that went with the tenderloin. It, it was like a, I don't know, like some kind of gravy they put on, but it was, had morels in it. It was very, very good. Yeah, using morels in a sauce is kind of like cheating. <laughs> they're, they're so intense. So, Jesse, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about making mushrooms or growing your own mushrooms. Um, again, like I said, I need another hobby, so I'm, <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do some exploration here and maybe, like I said, convince the wife to let me turn the basement into a grow cellar. I hope she lets you do it, man. It's oh, yeah. it's a fun it's a fun hobby, and it provides some some great. You know, edibles, <laughs> it'll certainly benefit you <laughs> that way. And, um, you know, hopefully your wife likes the mushrooms too to eat. So. Oh, yeah. She, she likes mushrooms. This I don't think this will be a hard sell. Um, but, yeah, no. No, this, this sounds fun. And I think, if nothing else, definitely go and check out the countertop versions of all this sort of stuff. Because most of you who are listening to this podcast are the sort of nerdy people who just kind of want to make something with your hands. Uh, and this sounds like an easy way to get started. Yeah, super fun. And um, if you need any tips, give me a shout. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at growing your own edible fungi. It's a quick and easy hobby to get started with, and we've included all of Jesse's suggestions in the show notes. Go harvest some oysters of the land. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. 
You can reach us at Denny at ExperimentalBrew.com or Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the HA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation, helping to rescue dogs so they can rescue us. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro calm cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.